Welcome to Fifth Wall's Fly on the Wall podcast, where we explore the shifts occurring in real estate, technology, and society that are driving our cities towards a more equitable, green, and tech-enabled future. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. In today's episode of Fly on the Wall, I am joined by Sylvian Fortier, the Chief Investment and Innovation Officer of Ivanhoe Cambridge to discuss the company's $85 million investment across four fifth wall funds. Sylvain shares thoughts on why large real estate capital allocators need to have a technology investment strategy for prop tech that is multidimensional and global. We also discuss Ivanhoe Cambridge's sustainability forward approach toward investing and managing a real estate business. Enjoy the conversation. Well, Sylvain, thank you for joining. Where are you coming in from today? Hi, Brendan. I'm uh, still very much sitting um, at home in the suburb of, uh, suburbs of Montreal, up north. So, um, been here for a year or a lifetime, it seems. <laughs> I feel like we've only gotten to know each other over Zoom. And I, um, only I know. now I just noticed the Mario Lemieux jersey in, in, your, in your background. That's that's impressive. Yeah, you know what? I mean, uh, I am Canadian, right? So hockey is so, I mean, it's a religion here. And uh, Mario Lemieux is a Montrealer. So even though he played in the States, you know, still very much stayed uh, a Canadian um, a citizen and uh, did great at the Olympics in Salt Lake City. So, yeah, that's uh, that's one of the my favorite piece. So, nice. Well, yeah. Sylvain, maybe can you start by just telling everyone kind of the background of Ivanhoe Cambridge and in particular your role, which has evolved, I think, in a really unique way at Ivanhoe Cambridge. Sure. So quickly, uh, Ivanhoe Cambridge is the is the real estate arm of the uh, Caisse de Depot, which is a uh, you know, very large pension fund that manages uh, public pension monies and uh, has about uh, in U.S., I'll round it up to 300 billion uh, U.S. dollars. And, and real estate is about uh, 12% of that. And traditionally, uh, Ivanhoe Cambridge was invested solely in, uh, in office and retail. And uh, maybe 10 years ago, went into multifamily, five years ago into logistics. So, and we're continuing to grow these last couple of asset classes. Obviously, the first two are very much under disruption. And uh, so it's very special times for, um, for real estate. And we'll come back to that, I'm sure, later. My role as a chief investment and innovation officer is to try to bridge, I guess, those two, two words together. You know, we, we like uh, more and more to invest in innovation and what we're doing with you is definitely an example and hopefully we we innovate in investments in the way we invest in what we invest and i think one cannot go without the other so um uh, i i think to to second guess yourself all the time and, and to try to better understand um social behavior uh is is key right and, and this past year has proven the importance of that and i think it's so interesting that obviously those two job titles on 
you know, being chief investment officer, but also chief innovation officer, um, I've actually just never seen that done. I, I, I totally appreciate the logic of doing it. I just think it's very unique for a real estate company to have that kind of very tech forward progressive view that these two things are converging, right? What is happening in technology and prop tech is actually increasingly informing how a large real estate capital allocator should be deploying capital. And, and um, you know, to be honest with you, I, I took, I've been, you know, real estate with over 30 years. And in 2018, I took um, kind of a sabbatical year. And, and so every time you stop, you start thinking, right? And, um, and I, I felt like there was, there were so many changes around us, and especially in the real estate industry that we were not uh, tackling on. And, and so when I came back, I had, you know, chief innovation officer only on my head. And it, it's afterwards that we, I took over investments, but very much wanted to keep both hats because to me, like I said, you cannot do uh, one without the other these days. And, um, and I think if I look at what Ivan Cambridge is doing with Fifth Wall, for instance, um, one word that um, comes to mind, um, especially in these times, is the word uh, humility. And humility and knowing what you don't know and, and not be afraid to go out and seek help and seek you know, the expertise that you do not have uh, internally. And I think uh, you guys at Fifth Wall, given, you know, your real estate background, given your, your, your teams and, and your expertise, you're, you're bringing uh, some very important skills and knowledge uh, for us to, to better understand, you know, how technology, digital, you know, fits and will continue to be so important in the real estate uh, of today and tomorrow. So, uh, yeah, I think it's... Uh, I think we're going to see this more and more. I, I, you know, both innovation and investment by definition is, is, um, is looking forward, right? Everything is about today on the, about the future. It goes very well hand in hand in, in, in both cases, you need to guess, right? You know, I often say when you invest, you, you basically need to guess, right? And same applies to innovation. You need to, to guess right as to what people will start to do more and more and what they will need more and more. I guess, you know, it, it seems to me that, you know, the, the, the self-awareness and the thoughtfulness for a real estate company to approach technology and innovation with, as you said, humility. I mean, just as someone who talks to the real estate industry, you know, around their innovation strategy, it's rare, right, to have that, that perspective. And I think there has been historically in the real estate industry, this view of, I can do everything myself, right? I, I'm in the business of designing, architecting, building, owning, operating, financing, capitalizing, building. So of course, I can do venture capital as well. And obviously, I've always thought of Fifth Wall as kind of being a a bridge, right, between that mentality and kind of the traditional real estate capital markets and operations and what's happening in the innovation economy. Was that, was that a natural thing for Ivanhoe to embrace or did that, did that kind of come organically out of your culture and your ethos or was it something that took work to realize? 
Yeah, I think it was uh, an, an evolution. I think you, like any industry, and, you know, the, the infamous, uh, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. I, I think a lot of companies, I think the, the real estate industry felt like this. And then a lot of big companies, and it's true in every industry, often a disruptor will go after something that, is really, really big and they take just a little bite. And, you know, whether you're an office landlord or you're a, a retail owner, uh, you will see, you know, new trends happening, new ways of doing things. And you'll say, ah, you know, it's small. I mean, it won't, you know, won't affect me. And then eventually you start realizing that it's growing and it's working. And then you try to convince yourself that, you know, there's kind of room for everybody anyway, and you cannot attract every tenant. You cannot do everything. So, you know, there's room, you know, for the competition. And, and, and then you start to lose some of, you know, important tenants and, and you start to realize that, well, maybe that disruptor uh, is onto something. And, and by the time you react, sometimes it's, it's just too late. First and foremost, you need to, you know, to, to acknowledge where you are and then figure out what problem you need to solve and, and who can help you. you know? and, and I think that um, you know, going through those steps as a company is, is super important. And uh, it, it, it forces you then to stay agile. And even though you're, you're a very large institution, you try to, to think a little bit like a smaller company, you know, more agile and more dynamic. And, and so I, I, I very much see you guys, uh, I think I, I mentioned to you before, sort of like a translator, you know, for us uh, between, you know, the, a, a more technology digital type environments that we don't know as much and and our older fashion conservative traditional real estate world you know that you know the the, the good news is we you know my favorite stat i guess uh, is is that we spend 95% of our lifetime inside you know somewhere and so if you're in real estate, it's a good stat to remember. Yeah. And um, I love just obviously talking about this, this cultural awareness you have around this, because in some ways, I think about your comment uh, around how Ivanhoe Cambridge has like kind of embraced technology with a commensurate amount of humility for what it knows and what it doesn't know. And it is leveraging fifth wall to kind of be that intermediary, that connective tissue, that, that translator between the innovation economy and the traditional real estate industry. And, and the reason I think that's so unique is going back to like the early days of faith of fifth wall, because what we encountered was actually a lot of, I guess the, the antithesis of that uh, hubris, right. From large real estate owners who said, I can stand up my own corporate venture fund. I can do this all in house. This is not that hard. Of course I can do this. And um, honestly, it, it has always been challenging to kind of uh, disabuse large real estate owners that, well, you, you should do those things internally. And it's not that we're a replacement for them. Trying to invest in venture capital and emerging new technologies while at the same time operating a best-in-class real estate company 
is really hard. And it gives you blind spots, right? It gives you blind spots that you reference that, that, you know, you, you are kind of, uh, you kind of lose sight of these new disruptive threats, right? You are the blockbuster not seeing its Netflix coming along. You are the hotel industry not seeing its Airbnb come along. And I guess as you think about that, when I'm just curious about your reaction, when Fifth Wall approached you and we said, look, we have, you know, a variety of products that are designed specifically for real estate owners like yourselves. Obviously, you've made the, the single most significant commitment to Fifth Wall, and we are so appreciative of that. But you committed in a very unique way. You committed across all of our products in North American real estate tech, European real estate tech, climate tech, um, and our retail fund. And how did you think about that? Like, how did that map to your internal priorities as an organization? We've been, um, we've been in various forms of partnerships, you know, for a long time. And um, I know my first reaction was to try to become an investor in everything that you were doing. Um, because just to pick one strategy and not the other three uh, kind of didn't make sense. You know, I wanted to make sure that, and, and one of the first thing I said to you, I remember when we, when we did meet was, well, um, if and when we need to call you, I want to be able to call you, you know, and I, I want to treat you as a partner and, uh, and so wherever you feel you have expertise now and you've, you've raised the, the, these four you know, great funds, um, well, these are, are important uh, buckets of, of monies that we have that are being um, disrupted, as I said. And so we felt like whatever you were doing through these funds would be very helpful for us. But at, at the basis was that, you know, we could become very good business partners and we could help each other. Uh, and, and I very much believe that. And uh, yeah, it was, um, it was just um, pretty much a year ago, right? That uh, it was just pre-pandemic. And, yeah. and, um, and I'm very, very glad that we, we, we did that because um, obviously didn't know what was coming, but we did feel like it was a very uh, changing environment. You know, real estate had been growing for, you know, th 10 straight years. Uh, for a full decade since, uh, you know, the, the financial crisis. Sooner or later, uh, music was going to stop. Um, we never know the cause, but we kind of know that one day, you know, it needs to kind of take a break, you know. And, um, and so, yeah, for us, it was, um, it was uh, clear that we, we were interested in all four vehicles, uh, because it would then be easier to create a true global partnerships. Yeah, and I think one of the interesting things just on our side of that is one, obviously, uh, we have our own dose of humility. We are humbled, obviously, to have the opportunity to work with you across all of our funds. But I think to some extent, what it represents and what your investment and commitment to us represents is that this collision, this secular collision between real estate and tech, which is kind of broadly encompassed as this word prop tech, it's a bit of a misnomer because the reality is it's so much more nuanced and it's so much more interconnected to other technology themes and trends. So for example, 
we focus obviously in our North American fund on North American real estate technology. But honestly, a lot of those same trends, the pattern recognitions we see from that, those are applicable in Europe. Like what is happening in Europe around Europe's real estate technology ecosystem and how large European real estate owner operator developers are looking to engage with that is very analogous. But then almost orthogonally to that, it's like technology is colliding with real estate and so is sustainability. And I know you have a really unique point of view on that. So I want to go into that in a second. But then lastly, a retail fund, again, it's not really prop tech. It's really about the collision between real estate, technology, and commerce, right? And disruptions from e-commerce, disruptions in last mile logistics. And I think it's just interesting to to almost step back and evaluate how broad what we now call prop tech has become. There's so many contours to this space that are interesting and nuanced. How does Ivanhoe Cambridge as an organization ingest all those insights and use it to inform your capital allocation decisions, right, as an organization? So, um, as I mentioned uh, at the beginning, we started off with the two main traditional asset classes, office and retail. And if I put hotels aside for a second, these are the two most disrupted asset classes uh, right now and, and have been for several years. So we, we are starting from an existing portfolio of assets that have all the good traditional qualifications and criteria that we lo- you would look for you know, in defining what is a good real estate asset and a real estate building whether it's location, whether it's the quality of your tenant base, whether it's the quality of uh, the construction and the asset itself. And yet, um, you know, we see that there is a, a shift in, 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 in both of these asset classes in terms of who our um, client is ultimately. And traditionally, you, you know, you would do uh, a, a leasing transaction, kind of broker to broker, you would do a long-term transaction. You wouldn't spend too much time understanding who's going to be in your building or in your asset day in, day out, and how successful they are. How successful they are, say, in an office environment to attract and, and retain talent. And if you're a, a retail asset, Who's actually going to your asset and to do what and, and why? And it's, it's and, interesting just, just to stop you for a second there, because I think it's so, um, I know you've talked about this before, but it's, it's like it turns the job of being a real estate owner operator into both developer, but also kind of sociologist and consumer behavioralist. And that's just a unique shift from where we were even 10 years ago. It's interesting because just on a, on a personal note, I have two grown-ups uh, children. One is, uh, you know, my son is, is starting his real estate career, but my uh, daughter, who's the oldest, has been a kind of social worker and, and helping, you know, people uh, in need and, you know, with mental health uh, problems, et cetera. And uh, for many years, we were saying, you know, how different, you know, they were both, they, both, you know, of them were in terms of, you know, focus and what they were doing every day. 
But more and more now, and with the pandemic, we've been talking exactly about what you just said, you know, from a, you know, understanding social behavior and how people will react and, and, and what's important for, for someone in making a decision is turning out to be super important, you know, in real estate. And it's not only about, you know, having the, the proper credit. I'll give you an example. For many, many years, you would love to have a traditional uh, tenant in a traditional industry that would somehow know exactly their need and requirement for office space for the next 10, 15 years. You know, I, for instance, a law firm. Well, when you think about it today, maybe we would prefer to have a younger company in a growing industry that may not know exactly what their need for space will be in five, 10 years, even two years. But um, which one would you prefer? And, and so that would not have been a real question several years ago. Now it's very much a question. And in fact, I would look at an office building a little bit like a retail asset, i.e. I would want to have, I want to have diversification and diversity in the kind of tenants uh, in the building because it will bring diversity in the people that are there, people that are actually in the building. And that comes and impact the amenities and services you will offer. Uh, it gives um, an impression that you're in a, in a micro kind of society, you know, within one building. And, and who knows, you know, if we find a way to get closer to the tenant, uh, instead of being a relationship of almost like a lender borrower, where you know, rents being paid every month and you don't get to know each other. Maybe it's more of a partnership and maybe it's closer to, hey, you know, how can we help you in, in your company growth? And it's impacting a lot of, um, you know, how we, we will go after the, any vacant space, for instance, that we might, might have in a building now. Instead of hurrying up to, to, to lease it to the next long-term tenant, maybe we pause and think about another alternate use for it, uh, you know, bringing flexibility for that space in, in flexibility and in the, in, in the contractual uh, way that we're going to offer that, that space to, uh, to users, um, uh, bringing it closer to hospitality, for instance, all of that, you know, gets you into technology through the um, urgent need for data, you know, urgent uh, need to understand, you know, who's there for what purpose. And, and that will then dictate what you think might be the, the highest and best use for a particular space. So, um, a lot through through you know the last few years, we we we've had to think um, more broadly about who is the ultimate end user for any space that we have, and how do we um, how do we reach them? 
what do we offer them and and why you know and how so all the easy questions right and so that's that's where you know uh people like you uh come in and and help us um you know translate a little bit what uh some of these end users actually need and want but um maybe the the communication is is not uh, easily um uh, started between you know a big institution like us you know and and maybe a younger company or a younger designer would like to do a pop-up store somewhere you know um i i think you know it's to me the the it's just a matter of of being connected you know being connected is more than than technology and a wifi and you know having the right equipment it, it also means being connected and grounded uh and and um ultimately that's what real estate should be right you should be grounded and you should have your literally your ear on the ground and 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 listen and watch and observe what people actually want from your space and 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 need uh, from your space. It's interesting because you know real estate as an industry is in many ways a lagging indicator of you know fundamental demographic sociological shifts that are happening. And um, what you're saying is obviously so nuanced and complicated, but it, it's kind of like what it's like the way you're looking at it is partially that technology is driving consumer behavior change, right? And that consumer behavior change is fundamentally altering the wants of how humans want to engage with space, their needs from that space, their, the characteristics of that space. And that in turn makes the job of allocating capital to monetize physical space, which is ultimately the real estate industry, just really complicated in the modern era. And that Technology is not just an enablement tool, right? To do real estate better or faster or cheaper or easier. It's also an input into allocating. And I think that's a, a really important point. And I want to ask you about one aspect of that, which I know you have a very clear point of view on, which is, you know, we've talked a lot about the real estate's, the real estate industry's culpability in the climate crisis. And I'm talking about the industry as a whole, right? It's responsible for about 13% of the US economy, but yet 30% of all CO2 emissions. And obviously there's a disconnect there. How does Ivanhoe Cambridge as an allocator think about integrating its view on sustainability and kind of the real estate industry accepting this mantle of responsibility around decarbonizing? How does that inform some of these decisions? Is that like a, how does that intersect with some of what you just talked about? Yeah, so it's so important. I mean, we, if if I may just a second include it into the ESG you know bucket you know that acronym is often thrown out there as a as a must have, but now it's becoming uh, very very important. You know we've been talking a lot about company culture you know in the past twelve months because other uh, companies are wondering how they will deal with. Um, you know, the work from home environment now and, and some employees, you know, wanting to go back or not, et cetera. And, and it, it, it has caused, I find, a lot of um, very good thinking, uh, uh, you know, with, with companies as to, you know, what is the company culture? You know, what's, the, what's our purpose? What's the company, 
you know, vision statement, mission statement, etc. And I think for companies such as ours, investing public pension monies, uh, we came to to realize and, and decided that we would be more than just an annual return. Uh, we needed to be more than that. We need to to make a difference in in the communities that we invest in. And so, uh, you know, sustainability, you know, climate change is something that, you know, needs to be tackled. It needs to be tackled seriously. Um, and I don't think we have a choice uh, in the real estate industry to do a lot more um, and a lot faster and a lot, you know, sooner. And so what we've decided to do is look at, you know, how we invest um, and, and with who and, and to do what and how can we do our part? You know, how can we be more efficient with the energy that, um, that, uh, that we use? And, and so it's through, you know, getting additional certifications. Uh, how can we save on energy? Um, whatever we decide to build, you know, we decided to 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 start building with, uh, you know, wood frames, for instance, uh, in the States, in, in Europe, you know, with some partners. Um, when when you decide to um, do a major retrofit of a, of a building, it's, it's basically for us recycling uh, an existing building, which also is good for for the for the planet. Um, then, you know, there's the whole notion of green financing, you know, a lot of industry, a lot of real estate, uh, uh, investors, uh, would say, well, you know, it's costing money, you know, uh, of course it's good to do more for the planet, but it, it's impacting the returns and it's impacting the bottom line. Well, um, we started to, to have some, some very, very, uh, interesting financing, because our buildings, you know, that we bring to the lender are, are, are more green. And so we end up having cheaper financing because, you know, of, you know, the fact that they're considered, you know, green. Um, I think the next, the next thing will be uh, the capacity to attract tenants because uh, the building is efficient and because it's less you know, polluting. And, and I think um, we're going back to basics where uh, air quality is so important, you know, and when you think about it, air quality, I mean, pretty basic stuff, uh, natural light, and, and just, you know, the overall, uh, in French, we say bien-être, so, you know, well-being, um, so this is very much connecting with, with the planet and taking care of it. And, and so with the numbers that you gave, I mean, I, I think that every real estate owner investor, uh, needs to do its part, needs to do better. And, um, and, and we hope that, you know, through investments such in, in your, in your fund, in your, in your climate tech fund and, and any other ways really that, uh, it becomes a very, um, it, it's a, um, 
it's automatically a, a condition to to do any kind of investments you want. You know, it's not uh, a, a nice to have; it's a must have. And um, and I bet you that we're at a turning point, and I think the pandemic is going to accelerate that too. And I think that one of the one of the exciting things that I think you know, for example, there has been historically this conflation in the real estate industry. I would say some of it unintentional, some of it intentional, where uh, real estate owners really try to merge these two unique concepts. One is deployment of energy saving technology or materials, right? Which is, I own a building, I want solar panels on that building, I'm going to buy and deploy those solar panels on that building. That's not investment, that's deployment, right? That is taking technology that already exists today and putting it to work. And clearly it's a very positive thing for the world, for the environment, for tenants, for the owners, for their investors. Um, but with that said, one of the challenges it seems like today in the real estate industry is that there's a funding shortfall in the R&D towards new technologies that can actually close what I would call the operational gap around a building's carbon footprint. So today, even with all the best technologies deployed at any given building to retrofit it, we can only get about halfway there in terms of the building's operational carbon footprint. So the question is, how are we going to get the other 50% of technology deployment ready? And I think that's an R&D question. And you know, the real estate industry hasn't historically invested a lot in R&D. And you know, one of the ways that obviously we've talked about this is there's kind of a uh, an opportunity to solve this collective action problem by the real estate industry coming together and saying, well, we individually don't want to invest in R&D, nor should we be. Together, we are such large allocators that this is an imminently solvable problem if we all just act together. And, um, you know, my hope and obviously what I'm so thankful for is that Ivanhoe Cambridge was really the first big allocator to raise its hand and say, we want to contribute to that. We do think it's a collective action problem. And we want to be the first to contribute to that, that, that pool of capital that's going to help the real estate industry reduce its carbon footprint to zero. And, you know, Canada has always been at the forefront of sustainability vis-a-vis -vis the United States. Do you think that's always been in your DNA or is that, how have you seen that um, articulated when you interact with, say, European real estate owner-operator developers versus American and, and specifically U.S.-based real estate owner-operator developers. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's it's you know you don't want to generalize. I think that um, certainly in Canada, if if I step back a bit, you know, I, I think the um, we have uh, you know Canada is a is a big country. You know, it's a it's a grand you know, territory, when you look at a map, you know, we're 10 times smaller in terms of population than, than, than the U.S. And I, I think, um, you know, we have the same coastlines and the same, you know, mountains, and we have the same farmlands and same you know, countryside. I mean, it's, we just, you know, somebody just decided to, to draw a line uh, horizontal instead of a vertical, you know, a long time ago, right? But um, I think that uh, we, we very much have this European influence, you know, certainly where I'm sitting in the province of Quebec, you know, it's still very French, you know, influence. 
the rest was very, you know, British, obviously. And if you go to Europe, you know, you're very involved in, in, in Europe as well, you know, on, on sustainability, climate change, climate tech, and just overall realization that something needs to be done. Um, I think you would agree that Europe is ahead of North America. I think everyone and, would agree with that. And, and Canada is probably ahead of the U.S. And in fact, you know, we hired a, a, a vice president ESG uh, January 20, and he's now sitting in Paris, you know, at our office in Paris. Uh, and, and we felt like it would be better for our company that he be exposed to everything happening in Europe because, you know, on this side of the pond, as we say, uh, Europe is, is almost treated as a country, you know, but Europe is a multitude, you know, dozens of countries and everyone has its own mind and his own, uh, realities and um, you know you could make the point that the United States and, and the name says it that it, it's it's a collection of you know very different states that are united but many states are different from one another if I look at the map behind you then you know some of these states are, are very different uh, and when you talk about climate change, I would, I would say, and I would argue certainly to say California might be different than, and I'll let you pick the state, but California is certainly ahead of most of the states, say for, uh, you know, save the planet, climate change, and, and realization that there is urgency uh, to deal with. I, I think what's really difficult for everyone, and, and, and it's the same with companies, even large companies, is you don't know where to start. You don't know what you can do to really make a difference. And sometimes people hide behind that because they say, well, you know, even if I do this, what difference will it make, you know, ultimately? Right. That's, the, that's the collective action dilemma, right? That, that I think everyone every industry, every country, every state inherently suffers from. Um, I thought one thing you said was kind of interesting, um, especially about the, the, the dissonance between the political views and say the receptivity to you know, progressive environmental causes across you know, all these different states. But what, what, what's also interesting there is if you kind of dig down into that, um, you know, historically cities, have been more progressive with respect to sustainability and environmentalism. And so even if you were to pick, and we don't have to name the name of the state, but even if you were to pick the most historically red state, right? The, the kind of least receptive state, you know, by our own imagination around uh, environmental causes. And you were to look at voting, right? County by county, you'd probably see a lot of red and then you'd see like one blue dot. And the one blue dot would probably be the capital city or the largest city in that state. And then if you looked at where is most of the real estate value concentrated in that state, it's all concentrated in that same blue dot. And so there's an interesting dynamic that's afoot in the US where Absolutely. 
real estate is concentrated in cities. The most valuable real estate in the world is in cities. And cities tend to be the most progressive. They tend to be the most environmentally conscious. And as a result, it, it's kind of incumbent on everyone who cares about you know real estate as an industry, but the environment um, to say, it, this is not a partisan issue, right? This is a physics problem and we're all struggling with it. And there actually are solutions. And, and it sounds like we're very much aligned that one of those solutions is capital, right? You have to move capital into the R&D that can help the real estate industry reduce its carbon footprint. Um, we're obviously just so thankful to have the opportunity to work with you know, an organization that is really at the vanguard of this, like yourself. Um, I, th I, I think that that point, uh, Brendan, just quickly is, is important, uh, and it was something that really attracted us to 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 your your climate uh, tech fund is, and you you you're mentioning it that um, because you you know no single investor or you know one country can can fix all these problems, it, it's very very important to to then invest and try to find, uh, you know, solutions faster and cheaper, right, for everybody to, to adopt afterwards. And so that's why I think, you know, the R&D is so important, you know. Uh, just look at uh, the, the, the vaccines that, that we, we have, uh, you know, triggered in less than a year, you know, I mean, for, for COVID, right? I mean, it's because of the R&D push. Yeah, we, we mobilized all these resources all at once and overcame a big collective action problem that wasn't just systemic across states or countries. This was global inherently. And it's, it, it's a great, um, it's almost like a, it's like a, it's a perfect corollary to what could happen in R&D around climate change, right? Exactly, and uh, and it, it's funny because uh, when when the planet kind of stopped, you know, last spring, um, the planet started feeling better, right? In terms of uh, pollution, right? I think we're a bit victim of um, you know people have always attracted people, and and urbanization has been a very heavy, uh, long time trend. Well. Up to very recently, we thought it was only good that people would end up in one place, you know, and you go where the jobs are, you go where the right. schools are, you go where people are, and you think it can only be good, you know, and values go up and, you know, everything's fine. And then until you're told that, well, you know, there's also some negatives and important negatives, and now we need to tackle them. That's why I think the, the R&D uh, is, is so important. And that's, that's what made us, you know, jump first, I guess, because we had that conviction. Uh, but, but you guys are going to be, you know, handling, uh, holding the, the driving wheel. Uh, but, uh, but at least we'll, um, you know, we'll, we'll be in the car with you. So, well, we do hope to, you know, convene the industry and that, it, that has always kind of been like, in some ways, the root philosophy of fifth law, which is that the industry is better acting as an industry than acting as a bunch of individual constituents. Um, 
And it's, it's just exciting to have, you know, an organization like yourself that really shares that, that philosophy. And I guess the last thing I wanted to ask is just clearly Ivanhoe Cambridge has arrived at, I think, this um, really thoughtful, really progressive, really sustainability forward view of how to manage a real estate business and allocate capital to the real estate industry. You know, for a lot of real estate owners and operators and developers and capital allocators, it's not so easy, I think, to shift their mindset. And I guess what counsel would you have for other large real estate owners that are reflecting on and kind of metabolizing some of these big questions about how to change their business? Like, what guidance would you give them? Just because so many people in the real estate industry watch the show and think through these questions. Yeah, I think... um... The advice I, I, I would give is certainly it, it worked for us. What we did in 2019 was to say, okay, what will real estate look like 10 years from now? And, and we started thinking about, you know, things like, you know, company purpose and, and, and vision statement and, and what are we about? What are we trying to do besides just making money? And which is very, very important as an investor. That's why you're there. But what else? And how are you going to attract the younger generation to come work for you? I mean, the number one question we get when we interview a young talent is, what is Ivan O'Cambridge's opinion on uh, ESG and on... uh, sustainability. This and is like a non-negotiable issue. It's table stakes, right? Exactly. They, they never ask us about our five-year average return. Never. So, so it's important for the, for the next generation and the next generation. And so it kind of forced us to just, you know, pause and think about, okay, do, do we want to contribute? Answer is yes. You know, like, my, my, I was raised by uh, an uneducated, uh, you know, grandpa that was a farmer turned businessman. And he used to say, if you're going to ask yourself questions, ask yourself easy questions, you know, like obvious questions. And anybody that you're listening out there, do you think there is a, a problem uh, that needs to be tackled with, you know, climate change? Answer is Yes. Do you feel you should do your part? Answer is yes. Um, do you think you need help figuring out uh, what to do, how you can do it? Yeah, probably. Don't think you can do it by yourself. And, and so very quickly you get to, to realizing certain things. And then, and then you have a, a, a smaller problem to tackle. And, and then... Ultimately, I'll finish where I started, you know, the word humility. So just realize that you don't know everything about everything. And, you know, the worst thing you can think is, is, is that you're an expert in something because that's usually where you stop learning. So don't consider yourself an expert. Uh, in everything and go seek help where, where help is. And I think this is too big a topic to, to think that, you know, you can tackle it alone. So I hope 
that other, and there are others, we're not, you know, the, the, the first one to wake up to this, uh, that other real estate owners really put their, their money where, you know, money where their mouth is and, and contribute and do more. And I hope that tenants, you know, realize that and, and, and choose accordingly. And, and uh, same with, uh, you know, employees and, and younger talents that will pick an employer also based on their deep belief, you know, and their company culture. Sylvain, it's always interesting to get your thoughts. I, I feel like, um, obviously, we've learned a lot from our real estate corporates, but actually just in the short time of working together, I feel like we've learned a tremendous amount about how real estate companies should philosophically approach some of these you know, big existential challenges they're facing around technology and sustainability. So I just wanted to thank you for sharing your thoughts. Thank you for being a part, obviously, of all of Fifth Wall's funds. We're humbled to have you. And yeah, just have really enjoyed the relationship. Well, same here. Thank you, Brendan. I, I know that we'll, we're going to have a, a, a very good, the successful, long uh, relationship. So I'm happy to, to be sitting here with you and uh, looking forward to many, many other chats uh, like that. Great. Well, thanks, Sylvain. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fly on the Wall. All of these episodes and more are available on our YouTube channel. To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.